Amen. Happy New Year, everyone. Let's do that again. Happy New Year, everyone. There we go. 2019. We did it. We made it. It's going to be a struggle learning to uh, write 19. How many of you have made that mistake many, many times, signing something, writing a date? It takes a little while. For me, it takes two months. I'm a slow learner. But that's, uh, that's how it is. Every new year is the same. We got a new year, a lot of new opportunities, exciting things. Many of you are anticipating 2019. You're, you're praying that God brings new things and new life and new change to you, to your family, to your work situation, whatever it may be. And we're going to be launching this new year with a new series, and we've entitled it God Is, and the official title has brackets with nothing in the middle because it's cool and trendy. And so we want to we be on trend. I don't even know if it is, but that's uh, our design. And each week, we're going to be looking at different characteristics of God. And as Tommy shared earlier during our announcement section of our service, that this series is unique in that it was created by you all. It was created by the community that for the season of Advent in December, if you were with us on the backside of your connection card, there's a place where you can write prayer requests, shameless plug, write some prayer requests, put them in the offering basket later. But during the season of Advent, we had a question there and just said, what is in one statement or in a short story, tell us about what God has taught you about himself in this past year. And so you guys turned in a whole bunch of statements and stories, and we sorted them and we arranged them into the eight characteristics of God that came forth from the community. And so each week, we're going to be walking through all of these different characteristics of God, and each week is going to feature a story from someone in our community. And so tonight, we have the privilege of inviting up Lorena to share on God's faithfulness. Will you give her a round of applause as she comes forward to share with us this evening? Thank you. Thank you for having me here. Um, yes, I do have a story that I'm going to share with you. Uh, it's been said that who asks will receive and he who is looking for will find. That happened to me at the age of 17 while I was praying to God. I asked him to show me the way. For the first time, I opened the Bible, and in the verse that Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Only God knew my question, and he answered me. Since then, I have been known, I have known he is real. He hears and he answers. At the same time, I met the man who was becoming my husband. Uh, we had an amazing relationship, a bright future ahead of us. But after eight years of marriage, he started going on a different path. Long and painful story. Our marriage ended. And I didn't know that our decision would cost me all my relationships at that moment, from church, from his family and mine, including friends and my successful career. It was the lowest emotional point in my life. I got physically sick. And my only prayer to God was, oh, God, I really do not know how to pray anymore. So he answered me one more time with one Bible verse. Stay still and know that I am God. I couldn't stand the painful process in my small city, so I decided to move to Miami, where I had spent my wonderful childhood summers. I came with both of my daughters. My only prayer back then was to be able to be the mother they needed me to be and to raise them free of fear and in the will of God. I prayed for a job to support my family, sent resumes everywhere, willing to accept anything, but God had a better plan for me. He put my resume in the hands of one of the most well-known families in this city. They built a school, and they fell in love with me and with my daughters. 
and offer me visas so I could work with them at the school. In God's amazing grace, this was not just uh, only a provision of, of, as a job, but they were family to me and my children. They took care of me and them as their own. It was not only a job, it was a family, a place for healing and love, overwhelming love and the faithfulness of God. After seven years, the family moved, and I had to um, help. Uh, I needed to ask help again to find a work. So I had nothing but faith in a good God. He um, faithfully provided all that I needed, even when I only felt fear to my bones, really. By the time my daughters needed to go to college, he also provided me with the finances. But after two years in college, I, um, I went through a sickness. Uh, they found in 2011 a tumor on my forehead. And no doctor here in the United States, I mean here in the States, wanted to perform the surgery because the forehead needed a plastic surgeon. I went back to my country and God provided the right doctor and the money. In those recovering weeks, I realized that I needed to work on my relationship with some of my mem the members of my family. I was praying about where I needed to live, and God provided me with an uh, immediate but not expected answer. The Secretary of Education of my country called me. She remembered a project that he, she worked with me 10 years before that. It was his faithful mercy again to me. He was giving me a dream of mine for my country to develop an educational inclusion program to see the less fortunate being provided with the opportunity to be served and have psychological assistance and programs for the learning disabled. I worked there for almost a year, and during that time, many relationships were restored. Eventually, my daughters called me back to come and live with them here in the States again. While prayer, <laughs> praying, um, I remember my first commitment with God. I told him he will always be first, and then my daughters. So I came back at the, by the end of 2015. I had to start all over again. I remember his goodness from before, and he, I knew he wouldn't fail me. A friend offered me a place to stay, and I didn't know where I was coming. It was a spectacular 28th floor with an ocean view. Just with no word to say, thank you, God, and thank her also. Again, God was showing his support beyond any prayers or expectations. I am not going to say it has been easy. It has taken courage, strength, prayer, tears, loneliness sometimes, and a lot of personal work, but he has been faithful over and over again. He is faithful to his promises. The only thing I needed to do was to believe. I have learned there is nothing I could do to make him love me more. He knows my hurts, my heart, my struggles, my fears, but he also knows my dreams and my desires. Now, in these years, I remember, I am a counselor and a writer at heart. I have passion for people to help them flourish, children and families, women and men. I want them to know the same God who has been faithful to me, he will also be to them. Thank you. Thank you. I told you it's gonna be a good series. It's gonna be amazing. Every single week, thank you so much, Lorena. Um, you know, this series is, I think, the right way to start off a new year. It's the right motivation. It's the right, the right way to think, which is celebrating what God has done in the stories of the people's lives that have claimed uh, Christ as their Savior and have found God faithful, have found God loving, have found God good and provider as we'll move throughout the series. 
to start with celebrating in a new year, and also to start with celebrating who God is. Because as we look forward with anticipation for a new year, with new exciting things on the horizon, some of us will have really exciting, transformative years, and some of us will have difficult years ahead. And yet if we start the year thinking about what we're bringing to the table or what we're going to do or the strength that we're going to have or the ability that we're going to, to bring into our work or to our relationships to create a great year, inevitably we're going to fail at that. But if we start the year claiming who God is and reminding ourselves of who he is, then regardless of what season God brings us to in the year, it can be a good year. And so we're going to start with looking at God and his faithfulness, and we're going to look at a very peculiar book. If you notice when uh, Carmen was reading earlier, we're reading from the book of Lamentations. This is a book in the Old Testament. It's a book that is not often preached on. Maybe you've never even read it before. It's skipped over. It's not a large book, and it's skipped over, I think, in large part because it's a book of lamentation. It's a book of despair and mourning and grief and pain and sadness. And most of the time when you open the Bible, you're like, I don't know if I kind of want to go into that book, you know. I'll just find a few psalms that I like that are uplifting. But this book is a really powerful and profound book. You see, it's a book that was written in the 6th century B.C., and it was written during the fall of Jerusalem. So the people of God are facing desolation. They're facing despair and pain and suffering. You see, what's happening here is a prophet Jeremiah, who is most likely the author, is writing this book as he laments and as he writes about the lamenting of the people of God who now their temple has been destroyed, their country has been taken over, they are facing exile and slavery, they feel as if the promises of God are null and void, it's over, all is lost. And he writes this book not to be a downer, but to actually bring about hope in the lives of the people that are facing great difficulty. And so this is what the book is focused on, actually bringing hope. And I think even just the nature of the book, being a book of lamentation, we can learn a lot from that because we live in a culture and a society where we want to be positive all the time and we don't want to deal oftentimes with the pain and the suffering and the sorrow that we're going through. And so we compartmentalize it. We hide it from our friends. We hide it from our family. We hide it from ourselves if we can. And we can learn a lot from just like lamenting, actually processing what we're feeling and working through that. And so in the very beginning of the book, and we're going to look at chapter three uh, of the book of Lamentations, written most likely by the prophet Jeremiah. And this striking truth comes out in this passage that God is faithful over and over and over again, regardless of what you're going through. That's what we see here. In fact, this, this chapter here is still recited today by many Jews at the Wailing Wall. They will recite parts of Lamentations chapter 3, claiming God's faithfulness as they look forward to and desire the rebuilding of the temple, as they have for about 2,000 years now. And so the, the passage begins tonight in chapter 3 and verse 19, and what we're going to see here is that this is actually beginning with the prophet Jeremiah's personal prayer. It's written in the first person, and so he is writing this prayer to God, and he's inviting you into his experience. He wants you to experience what he's going through as he prays to God, and he wants you to see his position and his posture before God as you remember he's facing 
great difficulty. Exile, slavery, no temple, country taken over, all is lost. Feels as if God has abandoned him. And here's what he says. Verse 19, remember my affliction. He's praying to God. God, remember my affliction and my wanderings, the wormwood and the gall. Now, this book, the Book of Lamentations, is a collection of poems, and you're going to see that throughout the passage here tonight. So you see, he's saying to God, God, I want you to remember my affliction and my wanderings, and he makes this connection here that it's the wormwood and the gall. You see, wormwood was a bitter plant, and gall was the substance secreted by the liver. I don't know who found out that is bitter, but someone knows that this is a bitter-tasting substance that comes out of the liver. Um, why he chose to do this, I don't really know. If you're thinking about, like, okay, he's praying to God, and he's like, God, remember my affliction and my wanderings, the wormwood, I'm cool with that, that's a plant, but the gall, like, that's gross, you know? <laughs> like, who prays like that to God? Like, he could have been like, God, remember my affliction and my wanderings, the wormwood and the red wine, you know, or the wormwood and the grapefruit. You know, like, let's make it a little more palatable, especially if you're going to write this prayer and other people are going to read your personal prayer life. Like, why are you writing gall, like the substance secreted by the liver? Like, it's a little explicit. It's a little gross. But I love the fact that he does this. Here's why. Sometimes when you pray and when I pray, maybe you connect with this. You feel like you have to kind of dress yourself up for God. You know, like you're going through a lot. You're feeling a lot. You're feeling abandoned. You're feeling lonely. You're feeling angry. You're feeling frustrated. You're feeling worried. You're full of anxiety. And you're going to pray to God. And you're like, okay, now I have to like put on the collar shirt. I have to look nice. I have to say the right things. It has to kind of sound holy. It's like a professional prayer, you know. Certain words you can't say. Certain things you can't communicate because you're praying to God. And so therefore you can't be real. You can't be honest. What we see here is that the prophet Jeremiah, he connects his affliction and his wanderings, his suffering, to the substance secreted by the liver. I mean, he's real. Like, it's what is in his head. He's like, listen, I'm going to be real. I'm going to be honest with you, God. We can learn a lot from that, right? When we talk to God, when we, we encounter God through prayer, to be real, to be honest. You don't have to dress up your prayer. You don't have to sound professional. You don't have to say certain things. God knows your heart. What are you hiding anyway? And so he says here that he's going through great affliction and, and wanderings, and it's bitter. It's hard. And I love the fact that he actually separates affliction and wanderings because I think these are two separate things that are connected, and these are often the things that cause us to doubt that God is faithful. You see, affliction is the feeling that, that you feel when you feel like something is heavy. It's what causes pain and hardship and anxiety. Anything in your life, any situation, any relationship, any, anything that's happening in your career, the suffering that causes pain and hardship and anxiety, it's affliction. But wandering is different. Wandering is, is the feeling of fear, or loneliness, or abandonment. It's when you feel like everyone around you has abandoned you. Your friends have abandoned you. Your family has abandoned you, as Lorena shared, as she felt. You feel like God has abandoned you. 
And these things go hand in hand. And oftentimes what happens when we're facing great affliction or we're wandering, we don't really have a sense of purpose, we feel idle, feeling anxious, going through hardship, it causes us to say, God, what? you're faithful. Why would you allow this to happen? Why would you put me in this season? Why would you keep me here for so long? You know what I'm asking for you to do, what I desire, and yet you're keeping me here in this affliction. And you see, Jeremiah is feeling all of these things, and he's honest to God in prayer, and he's saying, God, will you remember what I'm facing? Will you look upon me and remember the fear and the anxiety and the hardship and and the feeling like you've abandoned me and everyone else around me has abandoned me? me. But see, there's something really insightful with the prophet Jeremiah as he prays this. The feeling of affliction and wandering that is bitter and difficult does not cause him to doubt God's character. In fact, it draws him to pray and to remind himself of God's character. Look what he says in the next verse. He says, my soul continually remembers it and is bowed down within me. Have you been here? When you're facing hardship, you're feeling anxious, you're feeling abandoned, you're feeling alone, you're feeling full of fear, and it's the only thing you can ever think about. It's bowed down within you. Your soul is continually remembering it. You think about it when you go to sleep. You think about it when you wake up. You try to compartmentalize it, try to be positive, try to move forward, try to have the right motivation for the day, but it's just like right there, and you're always processing and feeling and thinking it. You're saying, God, I'm always feeling and remembering my affliction and my wanderings. It's bowed down within me. But then he says, I will call to mind, but this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. So what is it he's going to call to mind to have hope in the midst of great difficulty and anxiety and fear? He says, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning Great is your faithfulness. In the midst of great difficulty, bitterness, abandonment, and fear, affliction, and wanderings, he goes to God in prayer, and he's honest. God, can you remember what I'm going through? It is really hard. I can't stop thinking about it. It It's affecting every aspect of my life. But I'm going to call this to mind. I'm going to remember this. I'm going to claim this. That even though I'm in this season that I don't want to be in, that is difficult and hard, you are always loving, you are always faithful, and your mercies are new every morning. You see, the scriptures from the very beginning of the Bible in the book of Genesis to the very end in Revelation, every single book, every single section speaks about God's faithfulness. If we just read through the Bible tonight, which would take about two and a half weeks maybe four if I fall asleep, so we're not going to do that. But if we walked through the whole book of the Bible, you would see God's faithfulness over and over and over and over and over and over again. I just want to draw to mind a few verses I was thinking about this week. Psalm 36.5 says this, Your steadfast love, O Lord, extends to the heavens your faithfulness to the skies. Then 1 Kings 8.56 says, Blessed be the Lord who has given rest to his people according to all that he's promised, Not one word has failed of all of his good promises. 
God's promises never fail. This is one of my personal favorites. 2 Timothy 2.13 says, If we are faithless, he remains faithful. I'm there all the time. If I am faithless, he is faithful. His character never changes. You see, in the midst of going through great difficulty and great suffering and anxiety and worry and fear, and maybe you're there with a new year, you're like, I, I'm wanting to think positive about what this year is going to bring. I'm looking at my career. I'm looking at relationships. I'm thinking about romance. I'm thinking about my family. I'm thinking about all these things happening, and I'm looking with positivity. But man, I'm full of fear and worry and anxiety about how these different things are going to play out. What is your response? See, the prophet Jeremiah says, you go to the Lord in, in prayer, and you're honest, and you're real, and you call to mind that he is faithful, and his mercies are new every morning. He concludes his prayer like this. He says, the Lord is my portion, says my soul, the deepest part of him. Deepest part of him is saying, the Lord is my portion, therefore I will hope, what does it say? In him. Therefore, I will hope. What does it say? I want you to, like, that's like the repeating. <laughs> Therefore, I will hope in him. The reason I wanted you to say it out loud is because a lot of times, here's what happens, if you're like me. We face affliction and wanderings, or affliction and wanderings separate, or we feel them together. And here's what we hope in. Our ability to strategically navigate the difficult situation that's at hand, right? I, I'm facing something really difficult. I'm in control. I can fix it. I can move past this. Or we hope in our internal strength. I've been through a lot. I'm battle-tested. I'm strong internally. I can go through anything. Or we hope in our ability to compartmentalize and be positive. I'm just a positive person. I don't want any negativity around me. I want to think positive. I want to move forward in a positive manner. And some of those things can work for a period of time, but if that's where your hope is, you're going to get crushed because it doesn't last. You see, what we see here in the prophet Jeremiah's prayer is he says that in the midst of like everything falling down around me, there's only one thing to hope in. It has nothing to do with me. It's that he hopes in God. The Lord is his portion. Because God is faithful and his character never changes, even though he's going through great affliction and a feeling of wandering, he can claim that his mercies are new every morning and great is his faithfulness and his steadfast love never ends. So he might actually find hope in a really hard season. This is really hard to do, right? Are any of you sitting there thinking, that's really hard to have that type of faith, to have hope like that? And the reason it's difficult is because in the midst of that, you don't feel that. You don't feel that God is faithful. See, we allow our feelings to dictate God's character all the time, right? How we feel becomes who God is. Here's one of the things that we all, most of us have experienced uh, between parents and a kid relationship. When kids are growing up, they look at their parents 
and they think their parents are out of touch, they're overprotective, they're mean, and they just, they just don't get it, right? Kids go to their parents, I don't understand, mom and dad, why I can't eat McDonald's every day. Let me eat what I want to eat. I'll, I'll sub a burger and chicken. I'll do it every other day. Maybe I'll get the salad that you shake up, you know? Listen, I just want to eat McDonald's every single day. Why won't you let me? You're so overprotective. You don't get it. You want to sleep over at a friend's house. And your mom or your dad say, I'm not comfortable with you sleeping over there because I don't really know that family. Mom, you're so uptight. Dad, what is your problem? How about many of you can relate with this. You're 16, got your driver's license. I don't even know if you can drive at 16 anymore. It should be 25. <laughs> 16, you got your driver's license. You got a car to drive. You got gas in the car. You think you're an adult, right? I don't need a curfew. 11 o'clock, 12 o'clock if your parents were really lenient. 1 o'clock if your parents were insane. And your parents maybe said to you, nothing good happens after midnight. You're like, mom, dad, you have not stayed awake past nine. You have no idea what happens after midnight. I'm fine. No, you had to be home at 11. Got to, you have a curfew. Until you're 18, you got a curfew. That's how it works. And what happens is because parents put restrictions on their kids and they, they allow certain, certain things and then they don't allow certain things, you look to your Parents, and because you feel upset and angry and confused about why they're doing that, you say, Mom, Dad, you are mean, you're out of touch, you don't get it. And so you label their character that way. They're mean, they're out of touch. We operate with God a lot like this, right? God, why would you put me in this season? Why would you allow that to happen to me? Why don't you do something? I've been asking you every single day for you to change my situation, and you're not changing it. You must be judging me. You must be mean. You must not be there. You're certainly not faithful. So we operate with God in the same way. But here's one of the things that you see in time as you grow up. As you grow up, you look back on your parents' decisions, and you say, I'm really thankful my parents didn't let me eat McDonald's every day, even if it was the salad. Who knows what's in the salad? That would have been terrible. I'm really glad my parents didn't let me sleep over at any friend's house that I asked. I'm really glad that my parents told me I have a curfew. I am out a lot after midnight, and I know what happens, and it's not good, especially 16-year-old me. Bad idea. You see, in time, as you wait, you can see that the decisions that your parents made were good and right. Most of them. Now, see, what happens in parenting, good parents, when their kids look at them and they say, Mom and Dad, you're mean, you're out of touch, they don't change their decisions. That's bad parenting. Don't think I'm mean. Fine, eat McDonald's every day. Don't think I'm mean or out of touch. You don't need a curfew. Fine, do whatever you want. That's bad parenting. Good parenting says, I'm sorry that you think that. I love you. This decision is actually good and right for you. You're not going to see it now, but you're going to see it later. You see, the same is true in our relationship with God. 
we come to God, we just don't understand why God would put us in this season, why he would allow this to happen. Why would, God, why would you let this affliction come upon me? Why would you put me in this season where I feel like I'm wandering? You must not be good. You must not be faithful. You must not love me. You must be judging me. Or maybe you're just not there at all. But see, God's a good father. And he doesn't change his plan for you just because you feel upset. Because feelings don't dictate truth. Feelings don't dictate God's character. God never changes. And oftentimes, he makes us wait to see why he put us through the season he put us through. Why he allowed that affliction to happen. Why he put us through that season of wandering. And sometimes we wait a long time. But even the waiting is good. And this next section is what the prophet Jeremiah wants us to see. He changes from the first person to the third person because he wants to communicate to all of us that this is true. It's universally true for every single person that God is faithful and even the waiting is good. This isn't just Jeremiah's personal prayer with God, even though there's much to glean there. He wants to share with all of us the reality of who God is and his character regardless of what season you're in. And here's what he says. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. It is good that one should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. I don't like waiting. Do you like waiting? It's the worst. You know, people say, like, uh, good things come to those who wait. And I've always thought, yeah, but bad decisions and bad thoughts come when I wait. You know, like, I'm not a person that likes to wait. It's really, really difficult for me. Because what happens is when you're in a season of waiting, it causes worry and, and doubt and fear. And, and oftentimes you just feel defeated, especially when you're waiting for a long time. But see here, what is being communicated is a different type of waiting than we're typically accustomed to. Oftentimes, our waiting is just like waiting for something to change. It's almost like you're sitting on your hands. But what is being spoken of here is a tenacious waiting. It's a soon-to-be-delivered, an expectant waiting, because you're waiting on the character of God that always fulfills his promises, and he's faithful to them over and over again. There's something else we see here, that in this tenacious waiting, it is supported by prayer. Supported by prayer. You see, he's praying this whole time right before he shifts here to the third person, and he's showing you how to wait. When you're waiting, you pray. And when you pray, you're honest with God. You don't get dressed up and have a professional prayer. You're real. You're honest. And you call to mind the character of God, that he is steadfast in his love, that he is faithful, that his mercies are new every morning, that you wait expectantly, tenaciously, reminding yourself of who God is. But I think the problem is oftentimes when we're waiting, one, we just don't pray at all. We're just waiting for God to change things, but we're not praying. Or when we pray, we're just praying about us. It's simply just a request for God to change the situation. And God wants us to bring our requests to him. But see, the, the way that we see it here, 
in this kind of tenacious waiting is actually praying and reminding ourselves of who God is in our prayers. When you're praying, are you calling to mind and thanking God for who he is, or is it just, God, when are you going to do something? Just change it. Here's what I'm asking for. Please deliver it. See, our waiting is to be supported by prayer, and it's to be focused on God. And here's the hardest thing, at least for me. This kind of waiting is actually good. It's actually good for you. Here's what he says in verse 28 through 30. Let him sit alone in silence when it is laid on him. Let him put his mouth in the dust and there may yet be hope. Let him give his cheek to the one who strikes and let him be filled with insults. See, what he's saying here, obviously, is very poetic. He's saying that in the midst of your waiting, when you're facing great affliction, when you're feeling that sense of wandering and it's hard, it's bitter, and you're coming to God in prayer, and you're reminding yourself of who God is, and you're being real before God, and you're, you're seeing hope be full by faith. There's two things that should be characteristics of you while you're waiting in this season. One is that you bow down before God and his character and his plan. He says this. He says, let him put his mouth in the dust. This was an, a common expression during the time that was meant to show deferential respect, that you literally bow down so far to the ground that your mouth is in the dust. You see, he's saying here that in the midst of your waiting, while you're waiting, you're to bow down before God and his plan, that he's a good father, that he's faithful. And then secondly, that you're to endure the affliction and the wandering that you're going through. He says that you should give your cheek to the one who strikes and be filled with insults. As you're waiting and as you're bowing down before God and his character and his good plan for you, that you endure, that you actually can find strength and hope to endure the affliction and the wandering that you're going through. And we can do this because look how he ends this section. He says, for the Lord will not cast you off forever. He's going to intervene, but he's a good father who will intervene in his time, in his way, in a way that is actually good and right for you. And then he says, but though he caused grief, can throw you off. But what he's saying is this, that as a good father causes you to go through seasons of affliction and wandering and, and sit in this season of waiting for redemption and for change, it's going to cause you grief. But it's actually good for you because God is doing something through it. He says that he will have compassion according to the abundance of his steadfast love. And then just to qualify that, for he does not afflict from his heart or grieve the children of men. You see, one of the promises of God is that he's working all things for good for those that love him. So a promise to you that God is working good in your life if you love him, if you're seeking him, if you have come to know Christ as your Savior and you receive the blessing and the forgiveness of God. He's working good in your life. It's a promise. 
And so the seasons that he brings you through where you feel like you're wandering and you're feeling great affliction and you're just waiting on waiting and waiting and waiting is actually good for you because God is not grieving you from his heart. He's not mad. He's not angry. He's not judging you. He's actually moving you through this season so he can show you his steadfast love and pour out his compassion upon you. It's what we're being called to remember that our feelings about what God is doing in our life don't dictate his character. His character is the same, and it never changes. And I'm sure many of us here are really struggling with this. We have to be honest, right? It sounds great. It's really hard. It's really hard to live this way, to find hope to be real with God in prayer, to endure affliction and wandering, to bow down to God's plan and claim that it's good when you're really in the midst of something really difficult. It's hard not to allow your feelings to begin to dictate God's character and just to claim that he's faithful. But here's the good news. God's faithfulness triumphs over your unbelief. It's okay if you struggle with believing it because God's still faithful. Your unbelief and your doubt and your struggle, it's not going to change God's plan for you. It's not going to change his character. And we see this because God has come to, to rescue and to bring you to himself. You see, the picture of the cross is really this picture, right? God has come to rescue his people in the person of Jesus Christ. He was born as we just celebrated during the season of Christmas. He was born to a virgin to Mary and Joseph, and he was raised, and he went forth around age 30, and he was proclaiming this good news that there's forgiveness and that he is the Savior, the Messiah, who's come to, to reconcile and to ransom his people back to himself, that the kingdom of God is at hand, that there is forgiveness, that there is love, that God is faithful to his promises, as he has promised for hundreds and hundreds of years in the Old Testament that a Messiah would come, the Messiah has come. The Savior is here, and it causes such a stir. People are so angry because they just can't imagine this, that they falsely imprison Christ, and then they beat him and afflict him, and they put him on a cross, kill him. You see, Jesus went through much affliction, and he was bowed down to the Father's perfect plan. You remember what Christ said in the garden? Let this cup pass from me, this suffering, this affliction. But if it's your will, God, I'll drink it. I'll walk through it. See, Christ is a perfect example and our Savior has bowed down to the Father's plan and his character. And then when he was on the cross, he not only faced affliction, but he also faced abandonment, feeling of wandering. As he's on the cross and he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You see, Christ gave his life, and he endured affliction, and he faced wandering and a feeling of abandonment from God, the Father, so that through faith in Christ, you might know God's love, and you might receive his forgiveness and be capable through faith of claiming hope even when you're going through a difficult season, even when you're facing affliction and wandering, even when you feel like you've been waiting and waiting, you can know that God's character never changes, and he is always faithful. He's even faithful over your unbelief. He never changes. 
want to close with this short uh, verse from a great hymn called Be Still My Heart by John Newton. just want you to receive this truth. Here's what it says. Brought safely by his hand thus far, why will you now give place to fear? How can you lack if he provides or lose the way with such a guide? Though rough and thorny be the road, it leads you on a pace to God. Then count your present trials small, for God will make amends for all. God is faithful. Will you pray with me? Lord, you are faithful even when we don't see it, even when we can't understand. Lord, you are faithful over our unbelief, our doubt, our fear, our anxiety. Lord, we just ask tonight that your Holy Spirit would fill us with faith in the reality of your character, that we would bow down before you as a good father, that you would give us strength to endure the affliction and the wanderings that we're going through. God, that you would fill us with hope, that we would leave tonight ready for 2019, excited for 2019, regardless of what season you bring us in. We have hope because we know who you are. We know that your character never changes, that you are a good father. Thank you for calling us to yourself through your son. We thank you for your grace in our lives. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.